Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. Oh, what's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts. Thanks for tuning into the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching the next generation in our world today. Mm-hmm. We drop new episodes every Monday That's morning right. to help you start your week off strong. So thank you for sharing this with your friends and leaders. It helps us reach the message of young adults today to more listeners. And we're joined today by Steve Shatterick. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, if you are just tuning in and you do not know who Steve is, I have his whole little bio right here. And he's the founder of Support Raising Solutions and the founder of the Center of Mission Mobilization, also CMM, which is the parent ministry of SRS. And Steve has trained thousands of Christian workers, I love this, from over 1,200 organizations around the world to raise support. Wow. And just through the God ask, right? Asking God to give us a dream, give us a burden. And when he does, we need the funds to do that. So he has written some material of how to support people who are doing the fundraising, who are just doing amazing things for God. And his wife is named Carol and they are in Arkansas and they have five growing children and eight grandchildren. Congrats on those grandbabies. Thank you. Number nine is on the way. That is awesome. Make it an even 10, right? No. Yeah. Well, no, we're going we're going for double digits for sure. There we go. I love it. Well, we're having fun today, Steve. And thanks for joining us for your time. Like Micah mentioned, you've probably come across the book that God asked. Mm-hmm. If not, the fuel and the flame you've probably heard mm-hmm. of or read. And um, if you have it, please check it out. They're both amazing. We were just recording, and our last guest said, Who's next? And we said, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's like the fundraising Bible. And so (laughs) we know that um, God's used you in some pretty incredible ways. And we're going to encourage the listener, if you have a dream from God, I just believe this conversation is going to be for you. And Steve, can you just tell us some of the dreams that God's given you and some of your life story and journey of leadership along the way? Sure. Thank you. Um, I grew up in Dallas in a church thinking I was a Christian, which is pretty common for, you know, especially from the South in Texas, you know, um, and um, I ran into a campus staff person that uh, befriended me and took me out to the airport to teach me how to share my faith, thinking I was a Christian. And uh, lo and behold, it went, it went terrible. But in the final analysis, I realized I had never received Christ, and so I was an 18-year-old brand-new believer and uh, came to college uh, not planning to, excuse me, go through Rush or be a part of a fraternity, but within a week or two was joining a fraternity and lived in that in that house for three years, and really it was three of the greatest years of spiritual growth I've really ever had, and it became a mission field for me, and I realized that... Uh, those those fraternity boys, I'll just call them hellions, if you don't mind. Um, they um, w- when they come to Christ, the same zeal they were putting into the party life is now the same zeal they were putting into following Christ, and they instantly had a network of relationships that they wanted to reach out to and influence for the Lord as well. So that that really that really got my attention, and it it really solidified in me that I think I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Um, 
really going after college students primarily and trying to win them to Christ, to disciple them, equip them to be um, witnesses and disciple makers themselves, but also become world changers. Um, I took a course a few years later uh, called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement, and it so turned my world upside down, and I realized that evangelism is essential, disciple-making is essential, but we better not leave out that third uh, component. And uh, so we kind of do it, we, we call it EDM, not ev- not electronic dance music, but evangelism, <laughs> disciple-making, and missions mobilization is kind of the, the final piece. And so uh, trying to help each campus worker out there across the planet really to see their their campus as a launching pad, as a sending base to reach the whole world. And so that's um, that that was a pretty foundational experience for me there in college. And so a big part of my life has been has been college ministry. And I'm almost 68. I'm, no, I don't look at that. I'm 67. But um, so that's that's kind of part of my story. I absolutely love that. Steve, thank you for sharing that. And we know the power of um, one life transformed, whether they're a football player, they're in a fraternity or whether they're, you know, on a hockey team like that. Like you said, that zeal that they had for the party life and the sports world, they want to see their team saved. They want to see their dorm saved. They want to see the floor saved. They want to see the campus saved. And I think that's just like you said, a launching pad for so many individuals to when they do land that marketplace job or if they're called into ministry or missions, they are equipped to do that. And they have the ability because they are able to evangelize, which is sharing their faith. They are able to um, disciple and they could, because they've been discipled and we see that multiplication process. It's just so fun to see and hear. And I'm sure throughout your experiences, you've been probably invited to dozens, if not hundreds of weddings throughout the years, just the <laughs> yeah. that you've been able to, um, disciple or witness to whether like we were marrying young couples already. We've done marriage mentoring with them. And now some of them are having kids and they've walked through some good times and bad times. And it's just amazing to see like when you get to do life alongside people and when you love them, like Christ loved them, um, mm. see their desire to do the same, to have that multiplication, not division approach is so fun. And that's one of the biggest blessings I think about being um, in ministry of what I've experienced thus far. And when it comes to young adult ministry, you've been around it for a long time, Stephen. I'm so glad you have. What do you wish that every young adult knew when it came to Jesus and the church itself? And, and when you say church, are you talking about the local church or are you talking about the worldwide body of Christ? What are you, what are you referring to there when you say church? You want to take it. Mobilize to the campus and a church nearby that's worship, yeah. whatever route you want to take it. You go ahead. Well, I, I probably have a broad view of, um, of the church. I, I think there's only two groups of people on the planet. Um, those who are part of God's family and those who are not are not yet part of God's family. Um, I think um, he's trying to mobilize one group uh, to reach out to the other group, uh, all the other labels and brands and divisions and, and uh, that, that have been created are more man-made uh, than they are God, God made. So um, I, I think God has an expression of, of the church, big C, all over the planet in, in ways that Americans don't even understand or realize. I mean, 
I just got back from two weeks in Ethiopia and, and, and yeah, we're working with college students. We're working with missionaries, but going out into the rural areas, into these little tiny villages, uh, just a, a dirt floored hut. And here's the father of the family who former Muslims. And now he's the pastor of the church and, and other young people were coming into our little service, you know, as we were holding these in different locations, I thought Americans, we think church is about buildings and budgets and staff. And no, the majority of the world know nothing about budgets or buildings or staff. They just know. And they had, these people had nothing except Jesus and we've got everything except Jesus. (laughs) And so, uh, and so anyway, I think we can learn something from our brothers and sisters around the planet. That's one thing that I'd love for this generation to understand is is uh, um, is who is Jesus and what does he want from us? And really, that's all you need in life. All the other things, all the trappings that Americans especially have, it can actually be a great deterrent uh, to really knowing and following Jesus. So um, when I start my small groups with some of these non-believers, I was working on starting a group even this morning of six guys uh, that are non-believers, fraternity guys, and I call them these groups the Immortal Six. One of the guys said, "Do you mean to name this the Immoral Six? I said, "Well, that might be more appropriate, but no, it's the Immortal Six. We just have some fun with our names." But they they don't they've never opened a Bible. Many of them have never been to a church, uh, and so when they come. Many times we'll do a John study, uh, and really John was Jesus' best friend, and and so we just read a chapter of John. I provide the Bibles and the pens and the paper. They just show up, and my wife fixes some breakfast, and boom, we're off to the races, and, and it's a great discussion because we're only looking at two questions. Uh, it's not teaching. It's not purely discussion, but you know, chapter one of John, we read it out loud together, and we're just answering two questions. Who is Jesus? And secondly, what does he want from me? Mm. And you'd be amazed, young men who have never had any exposure to this at all, looking at this for the first time and really addressing the two most important questions on this planet uh, that any, any, any young person, any, any, any person of any age needs to address, who is Jesus? And secondly, what does he want from me? And so it's such a simple study, simple, sim- simple uh, discussion and yet God uses the word to shape them in those two fundamental questions. So that's probably what I'd want any one young person to wrestle with at, at this stage or any stage of life. And to, um, and to realize that here in America, we've added a lot to Jesus. We've added a lot to the gospel. And if we can peel back all the baggage, all the extras that we have, we've added to Jesus, um, you know, he's, the scripture says, if, if, if he is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And so how do we somehow lift up the pure, unadulterated, you know, uh, Jesus without all the extra American baggage? I think some people in these other countries like Ethiopia uh, may understand that even better than us. I hate to say it. 
I love it. I love it. And you've mentioned, you know, recently traveling to Ethiopia, you've also got such a unique ministry and vantage point of seeing a lot of different collegiate leaders and ministries and a lot of different local churches and expressions um, across America too. And I'd be curious, a similar question, Steve, but what do you wish your peers who are maybe a lead pastor or serving on a board and they're a passionate Christ follower um, in your generation, what do you wish that they knew about the next generation? Well, we have the most biblically illiterate generation that we've ever had. Um, you know, my own grandkids, uh, you know, they have a screen in front of them almost all times, you know. And, and you know, the advent of Netflix and the Internet and, and all the entertainment options, and it, it, it's much more exciting uh you know, uh, tantalizing to us than uh, an old book that's 2000 years old, full of rules, you know? Uh, and so, um, I, and, and part of that saddens me, but part of that excites me because you kind of get a, um, a, a, a clean slate. Uh, you get people who are not necessarily inundated or inoculated with religiosity or, what they might grow up, you know, um, because the most committed Christians are the ones that start from scratch. They, you know, here in the South, especially, everybody thinks they're saved. We have to work hard to get them lost before we can ever get them saved, you know. And so um, and so that's um, that's probably uh, one of the things I'd love for my peers and other pastors and leaders in the church to. Um, to to understand is let's go after the non-believers mm-hmm. um i was talking to a leader a, a national leader here recently and and i was talking about the difference between a ministry and a movement and we're trying to help ministries all over the country especially college ministries but not just those not just be satisfied to be one more ministry but what if you could become a movement I've probably been on 500 campuses over my lifetime, and virtually every one, every one of them has multiple ministries, but seldom do I see a movement. And I say, do you want to be ministry number 16 on your campus, or would you rather be movement number one? Okay. Well, um, one of the characteristics of a movement, whether it's through a campus ministry or a local churches, you start with non-Christians. And this leader just jumped out of his seat. And they've got staff all over the country, you know, and he goes, we are through reorganizing Christians. We are done reorganizing Christians. And so that's what, that's what a lot happens. That's what a lot of ministry is. It's reorganizing Christians, bringing a new worship leader, bring him a new preacher. You got, you know, exciting, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or, you know, wh- whatever it is that's pulling in the new crowds. And we pat ourselves on the back that we somehow are successful and the other groups are not. No, I think the successful ones, this is what Jesus would do. I think he would go after those non-believers. And what we've realized is that's the that's the seed seedbed for a movement. It's what Rick Warren did at Saddleback. I'll be I'll be at Saddleback uh with him and a group of leaders next week. He just retired from his church there. But here's a guy that started from scratch with non-believers. Yeah. And, and no wonder that has now perpetuated and multiplied. He modeled what his converts were to do. And so I think this idea of um, of, of being a go-to-them church mm-hmm. rather than a come-to-us 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I was. I had about a hundred pastors and ministry leaders and Addis Ababa last week, and they were asking questions. How do we rearrange ourselves and our church and our denomination to, you know, to reach the the country and the world for Christ? Well, number one is don't be a come to us church. You got to figure out a way to be a, a go to them church, and uh, and and that's easy to say, hard to do, especially when you're been entrenched for years after years after years yes. of just kind of providing programs at your church and opening the doors, hoping people will come in. So uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I'm so glad you went there because Josiah and I have a unique story in our short amount of time doing ministry together as a married couple, um, in essence, compared to many individuals we've we've talked to. And the unique thing that you just said is very real. So we were both on staff at a church in two different states, got married. Josiah's on staff. I was volunteering with the, um, the young women side of things with young adults. And to, to have that model come to us. This is our event. This is our church. This is our Sunday service. And to break that mold. Um, we started doing campus ministry. We were on campus for five years at a local college campus. Um, and, and it's exactly what we had experienced. We we always say, come to us. And jo- I look at Josiah, I was like, no, we need to go to them. Like us stepping foot on their turf, their turf. That's right. That's right. Campus, asking to sit at their table and not to say, here I am. I know Jesus. You need Jesus too. But to like earn that right to speak into their life and to earn a seat at their table, just out of curiosity of who we were on campus, um, consistent faces, people who walked around and prayed, people who offered friendship that piqued their curiosity of like, who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, so they increase that. They're going to decrease their fear that we're not here to intimidate when we step in, onto a mission field, onto a college campus. Um, wherever God's calling us into a different country for crying out loud, decrease their fear. We're not here to change you, but Jesus can. And we're going to increase that curiosity of what he's doing and who that's good. and what he's done in my life. Cause he could do the same for you. And I think that's just amazing to kind of just unpack that mindset because it's, it's not reverse ministry. It's just doing ministry a different way. And if we're so used to like the systems and the, the, things that are scheduled, we forget that every day, at least on our college campus that we were at, was a mission field. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to be on campus, if we might get kicked off or out. Kind of when you go into a country, we just went with open arms, open hearts of saying, we're here to love like Jesus loved, and we're here to point pieces, people to Christ in the process. And if you want to come along with us on Thursday night, we want to invite you into our personal home to just sit at our table now and just to see doors of friendship and opportunity mm-hmm. open and around a table with food and conversation like you and your wife have opened up your place of just six people grabbing breakfast discovering <laughs> uncovering two little questions wow every single person is one invitation away of saying yes to jesus though great point great point we underestimate the the power of an invitation because we're scared of we're going to get rejected but when jesus said if they reject you it's because they rejected me first yes breaking out of that mindset mold of church how we do it over here on a sunday which is fine but wow living on mission with a missionary's heart is a completely different battlefield at times so that's just me unpacking what you just said but (laughs) and, and look you can't spell gospel without go 
It is a go message. It is not to be contained. It's not like we've got to go. And so I'm picturing Steve, um, just some young movers and shakers who God maybe has given a dream. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's actually specifically placed it in their heart to start a movement or their heart is racing because they're listening and watching right now. And they know that they they're called by God to be a generational difference maker and yeah. a spiritual strong shepherd. And I'm thinking of them. Um, and I want to talk with you about the God ask for a second. Because Micah and I have served as campus missionaries. Now we're three and a half months into launching a new ministry. And it's a nonprofit organization. So many times, whether it's planting a new church, Mm -hmm. starting a new ministry or movement, I love that word and the distinction there. But also it could be a a campus ministry movement. Um, When you're starting something new, it's like it's going to take some resources, some gas in the tank to get there. So what would be your advice to a young leader with that God vision of a movement? And how could they raise some funds to go do what God's asked them to do? Good. Great question. Um, yeah, I think to get into their prayer closet to start off with and, and say, God, what is the vision you've given me? And, and really have that solidified from the Lord. Not all the specifics have to be in great detail yet, but but this is what you want me to do with my life, God. And then I think uh, test that a little bit. You know, with many counselors, there is victory, is what Proverbs says. And so I think I think I would go to a few key people, maybe especially those people that could potentially be major stakeholders for you. Uh, they 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 have wisdom, but they may also have resources. And, uh, and so give them a chance to weigh in. There's a principle of that is kind of human nature that if you give people a chance to weigh in, they're probably going to have more buy-in. And so, uh, and so who would be those three or four or five people? Yes. Yes. Friends, pastors, spiritual leaders type, type of people that can evaluate what you're doing and your, your vision and give you input and guidance and wisdom. But I think I would also uh, think through who are those three or four or five people that I'm that I would like to go to and share my vision, but uh, and ask for support. But right now I'm just going to them strictly to to get their input on my vision and to really have them throw questions at me and try to shoot holes in this thing because that'll um, that'll shape it. That'll help shape it. Um, I, I I brought a wild, crazy ministry idea about two years ago to a couple. And um, I was going to ask them for a million dollars for this 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 wild, crazy (laughs) ministry idea. And boy, did they shoot it down. And uh, and I kind of went left with my tail between my legs walking out of that that meeting, you know, because I'd known them for a lot of years. I was close to them as friends. Um, But it really made me think through and pray through my wife and I. And we decided to back off, not strictly because of this one couple, that one conversation, but what they said and the questions they asked were very insightful, very powerful. And so I don't think we should underestimate uh, the role of kind of uh, input, wisdom, accountability as we're shaping that vision. But I think you can also plant the seeds for support raising, even as you're forming that, even as you're getting counsel. And um, and even there, I wouldn't I wouldn't pull the trigger quite yet. I think then I'd probably go to a second level of people and I'd gather in my living room, you know, and 10 or 12 or 15, some of those mid-level potential givers. And I'd 
lay this idea out and we're praying about this. What do you think? What, what, what are your questions? And, but then I'd probably even send a, an email out to a broader list of 20 or 30 or 40 people and, and personalize that we're thinking about this. We're praying about this. We're not just going to announce to everyone, God has called us to Thailand, send your money now. No, no, it's a process. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a slow, wise, uh, involving, including letting them weigh in, which you're going to have some great, great input from them, but hoping that they will, that will cause some great buy-in. Mm-hmm. And so, and I tell them on the front end, I say, no, I, I'm not here today. I'm not here to ask you for any funds. I, yeah, down the road, yes. But today, I'm only want your wisdom. I want your honesty. I want your toughest questions. And I think if you can go through that process, it can be kind of a little baptism by fire a little bit. But of those three levels, the, the major stakeholders, kind of the medium stakeholders, and then kind of everybody else, I think it's going to refine that vision in ways that you'll be glad you went through. And then it's going to form the foundation for um, – for some great support appointments, I promise you. Uh, so that, that'd that be a place uh, to begin. I wouldn't be quick to form an organization. I mean, uh, the, the you guys apparently have formed a 501c3, is that right? Yep. yep. Well, well, you, you're already experiencing, you know, all the do- documents and paperwork and IRS and having to form a board and bylaws. And, well, um if God leads you to form a new organization, do so. But to me, that's kind of, a, uh, you know, not a last resort, but um, just there's so much management that goes into that, that in a sense takes you away from the grassroots ministry that you're trying to have. So, um, so that would be a decision too, that I would go very slowly with that. I, I actually feel like I'm supposed to, to start a brand new 501c3 when there's already, you know, tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of them out there. Uh, but that, that's a, that's kind of another conversation. But that would be part of what I'd be asking these counselors for is the idea of starting an organization. And some of those individuals may end up being board members for you. Mm-hmm. Spot on. And um, Mike and I, we, during the the process, uh, this is what it looked like, exactly what you had outlined is Mm -hmm. before we ever pulled the trigger and and, or made any announcement, it was um, a few years of Mm -hmm. stirring Mm -hmm. and it was many months of prayer and fasting and meeting with um, potential board members, meeting with the kind of the people that we knew we needed to meet with kind of your group. Yes. We, we said right. there's a group of people we need to meet with and just get, <laughs> then there's some people we should meet with kind of that <laughs> list. Yeah. And then there's people that we could meet with as time allows or as their interest is, mm-hmm. is so, but I, I love that. And, um, looking at it from a lens of Proverbs of people that we need to meet with, that we should meet with and that we could meet with and um, to not make any rash decisions. Like for example, this podcast, we had probably recorded three years around 180 episodes Mm -hmm. before. And and then of course, too, there was a, a period of about two or three annual conferences and a weekend for young adults from our state and area. So, I mean, for us, I, I ask you this question just because um, we're a few months into what's been going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. for years, too. But I think that it's so good to have that vision, to know that you've heard from God. Right. Yes. Invite people in the process. And I heard it this way. 
I'd be fascinated to know a few degree, but sometimes if you ask for advice, you walk away with money. But sometimes <laughs> if you ask for money, you walk away with advice. Good point. Great point. Have Great you ever point. felt that? Of course. <laughs> sometimes you get both. And that's uh, a good day, my friend. <laughs> that is a good day. That's a good day. Well, I think also, um, I think you're going to run into people that love to help startups. They love to get hold of young visionaries like you all. They love to uh, get in on the ground level. You know, that may, maybe they're the ones that, you know, first invested in Amazon or something or Tesla or something. You know, they like to get in on the ground floor of things and uh, and they're willing to take a risk, uh, which I, I appreciate. And I, I love that. And so um, a fresh visionary, a fresh vision. If you can explain it in real simple, powerful ways of in real concrete ways, not just say we're just gonna go to airports and pass out tracks and hope that people come to Jesus. Well, they, they need some real specifics, you know, as to as to what your plan is. It needs to make sense. Well, how are you gonna measure success? I'm not trying to take the Holy Spirit out of it, but uh, you know, they're used to having people put uh, investment opportunities in front of them or business plans. I had someone put a business plan in front of me yesterday, but boy, they had done their homework big time. Well, it impressed me. It impressed me. And so uh, you're much more likely uh, to invest in something where someone has prayed through it. They've thought through it. They've gotten the counsel and, and they can really outline what the steps are, what the, what the, the metrics are going to be, what the outcomes are going to be, what the practical steps are to accomplish this, what the resources needed for this. And you go, wow. I think it's one reason why uh, Artaxerxes in Nehemiah there uh, was so favorable to give Nehemiah everything he asked for and more wow. because Nehemiah had thought through every detail of what his plan was. I think the king was very impressed. And, uh, and, and so when Nehemiah finally, you know, asked the king for resources to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the people, well, he, he let his key, key man, his key servant go and gave him everything and more that he needed and was gone for years to accomplish that. I think part of it was Nehemiah had really done his homework, had really done his homework. I love that. That's a good visual. I just want to encourage the listener, even if you find yourself that maybe like Josiah said, God's giving you a dream or vision to take what we've even talked about into consideration. Who have you let into that um, that dream, that process, that prayer? Because um, we need a prayer team sometimes to come around us. We need the resources to be around us. And I guess maybe you're holding on to a dream and you don't want to have, I call them Joseph moments, where you don't want to have a dream or vision from God. And then in the story where Joseph goes to his brothers, like someday you're going to bow down before me. I had a vision of all the wheat bowing down. And so we want to be mindful of who we share yeah. our visions with. That's and a great point. Great point. Um, just use this, just pray for discernment. God can give us wisdom. We need to pray for knowledge. We need to pray for discernment. And if you have a check in your spirit to not share something too soon wow. or with an individual, I would encourage you keep holding on to that prayer. Don't put it on the shelf and forget about it, but really take it to the Lord in prayer and don't leave until you hear your next step from him. Like get into the throne room with Christ. And if you need to wrestle with him and wrestle through some personal things, 
do so because uh, we just talked to some friends that we believe that God has put a burden, and a passion inside of you to make a difference somewhere around this world or in somewhere in your community or your family. And you sometimes need to fight for that. And we know that Joseph, even in his example, he did fight for those dreams, but I wonder if he could have a go back moment if he would have been quiet in that moment. But <laughs> and then I don't know if he would have been where he ended up. So God knew. Great what he point. Wanted, but Great point. Just be mindful of who we share those things with, but don't hold on to them till the, you know your last breath and wonder what if either. So it's attention mm. and discernment. We get a manage right. And um, Pastor Steve, I'd love to hear. I know your heart is evangelism um, for young adults and just processing life with them and sharing with them and starting ministries with non-believers to see them thrive. And like you said, see that movement really take place and lives transformed. And for the listener who may not know elements of your story or like some things that you've written, can you just talk about and maybe unpack your heart behind the writing of The Fuel and The Flame for us today? Sure. Thank you. Um, you know, I had been, I guess, doing ministry since the 70s with college students and then full-time in the 80s as a college pastor, and then starting this ministry called Student Mobilization, or STUMO. Um, and so we love college students. We wanted to, to reach college students. And um, I guess I've been fishing around, looking around forever, uh, trying to find some sort of a book uh, that, that could help you in some real basic, practical ways to start and develop and grow and multiply a college ministry. And I just couldn't find it. There were some great ones out there about evangelism. Uh, Bill Bright with Campus Crusade had written one and about disciple making. Leroy Imes with the Navigators had written one. Walt Hendrickson, disciples are made, not born. You know what I mean? So there were some good, but 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 something focused on, on college students and college ministry staff. And so uh, we had formed an organization, a 501c3, you know, and uh, here I am telling you not to do it. And I did it myself. Uh, but, um, but you know how much work it is. Yeah, that's right. Right. I can tell you what, I can tell you what not to do. Right. But, uh, but, 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 um, they kept after me the board. Well, you need to write this book. You need to write this book. You need to write this book. Well, I, I, I had never written anything really. Uh, I'd done articles and stuff like that. Uh, a web zine for focus on the family. I remember, but, but it was, uh, so that was a, a big task for me to think through from scratch. Uh, it was, you know, we completed it in 2003, so it's been out for what, I don't know, almost 20 years now. But um, but but God used it. I mean, it, it had this divine wind behind it. Some things we produce just sits on the shelf and gathers dust, but some things we produce just has a divine wind behind it. And so, sure enough, um, lots of groups out there, and then it started being translated in some different languages, were using it and really being blessed by it. And um and so um, probably three years ago, I was feeling the need to really redo it, to really revise it, uh, to bring in a younger leader, uh, a friend of mine, a co-worker, Paul Wooster. You all are friends with Paul. Yes, we love Paul. And he, and he has a background in college ministry, of course, and still heavily engaged. And we're doing all kinds of projects together, really. But, um, but I said, let's totally redo the fuel and the flame. And uh, let's let's really update it. And, you know, instead of using words like groovy, you know, uh, <laughs> let, 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 let's let's use words like chill or, you know, something that's a little more relevant and modernized. Right. And, and let's let's uh, new stories and, and, and Paul's 
injection was so valuable. And so we totally redid it, totally revised it. The original one, I was confused. Was I writing this for staff or for students? And you kind of, you're back and forth page after page. Who's this for? Well, we took all the staff stuff out of it and made this one just for students. Shorter chapters, discussion questions at the end. And um, and so it kind of takes college students through five major themes. One is, uh, what is God's vision for your life? Secondly, what kind of personal and spiritual foundation do you need to build to accomplish this vision? How can you start witnessing to those around you? How can you start discipling those around you? And then lastly, how can you become a world changer? How do you launch out to really impact the world? And those are the five major themes and um, that, that that's, that's going through that. And so it's... Um, it's been a fun, fun book, and it's been out maybe a year and a half now, this new version, and um, it's already in its fourth or fifth language, I think. And I was in Ethiopia, and they had they had maybe 1,500 copies of this book, and I, one of the guys was with me was videoing, and I mean, they were just descending on this table like locusts because they wanted a copy of this book, you know, and uh, it was, this is the 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 cover, you know, they said, I said, it looks a little feminine to me, yellow and pink, you know, and you sure guys are going to like this, you know? Oh, yeah, oh, guys will like this besides Shadrach. It's not pink, it's salmon. Oh, salmon. Oh, I see. Okay, salmon. <laughs> but anyway, you can tell how out of sync I am. I'm I'm still, you know, I'm still listening to Elvis and the Beach Boys. Uh, so the, I, I give a lot of those decisions over to the next generation like Paul. Yeah. And so Paul is in his mid-30s, I'm mid-60s, and and so I, I defer to him on a lot of things, and that book is one of them. And now he and I are writing one for staff. We're writing one for staff. We think we're going to call it Ministry to Movement, and we're just going to see how many different church-based and campus-based collegiate ministries around the world might uh, view this as a valuable asset for them, so... There is such a need, Paul, um, for Paul, what he's doing, and also for you, what you're doing, Stephen. I'd be curious to lean in just a second to talk about Paul for a second, because we love him. And he describes you as one of his mentors and just uh, also a co-laborer. And and I think of the young movement leader who might be listening, Mm -hmm. who's looking for somebody to link arms with. Talk about your, your friendship, mentorship and leading together with Paul and maybe even with in mind the, the young leader who's looking for a mentor. Ooh, that's good. Well, the older I get, the less I want to lead or manage. Uh, I just want to serve, to be honest. I, I can start a ministry. I can get it up and going and growing. But if you leave me in charge too long, uh, we might be in trouble, really and truly. And so uh, that's been the history of my life is is getting something up and started and going, growing and multiplying. But I, I'm, I'm looking pretty early to turn it over to a younger leader and let me just be a resource. You must increase and I must decrease, you know. And so, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I'm thankful that I, I know that about myself and, uh, and that I've made some mistakes along those lines. And someone asked me what my greatest strength was a while back, and I thought about it for a moment. I said, I think my greatest strength is that I know my weaknesses. <laughs> and, uh, you, the, the, you know, some people don't know their weaknesses and you'd like to tell them, but they're not, you're not sure they'd be open to your comments. Right. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, I think I think I'm realizing that for me to actually do something, some activity, some ministry role, and it could be done by another leader, especially a younger leader. I'm literally robbing them of the opportunity. Uh, so I, I, I'm not looking to, you know, feather my uh, resume or add add speaking engagements. You know, I, I'm at a point where I only want to do what only I can do. I, I want to come to that, and, and you're probably at a point like that yourself, where you're, you know, you're you're at a point where you want to have some convergence. You know, your sweet spots. So I'm, I want to, I want to do what only I can do and give away everything else. And, uh, and so Paul started contacting me probably 10 years ago. He had started that ministry at Chico State. Yes. And I think he had gotten a copy of The Fuel and the Flame, I think. And um, so he would just, you know, as early days of Skype or Zoom, you know, and so he would have his whole college ministry leaders in a room and me up on a screen and we're interacting with his leadership. And, and so that just began a friendship. And um and then when it came time to um, to rewrite this book, I knew I wanted to ask him uh, to do that. And he did an awesome job. He's just so gifted and uh, so capable. And he's he, he really is the real deal. He, he lives what he's he speaks. Um, and so, um, you know, he, he uses some strong language about me that I'm his mentor and all this kind of stuff. Eh, no. Nah. I, I, we're just we're just buddies. We're ministry buddies, you know. Um, one interesting verse that that I'm no Greek scholar. I can promise you that. But a key verse for you all and for us, and certainly it's a key verse for the navigators forever. Second Timothy two two and the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, Paul uses interesting words, you know that that you know in that section what the word soldier is. And, has a concept of strategy, but that word entrust is a banking term mm-hmm. where you're taking something of great value that God has given you. And of course, it's the 17 years of teaching that he had received by hanging around Paul, right? But now depositing it in the heart and the life of another believer. And so you can't do that. I had one guy say, yeah, I'm discipling 20 men. Oh, really? Is that right? Well, Jesus only did 12 and one of those guys bombed out. But hey, if you do 20, you know, more power to you, bro. But, but, but that word in trust is in the middle voice and, 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 and a middle voice, you know, active voice is I'm hitting you, Josiah. Passive voice is I'm being hit by Josiah. Well, middle voice in the Greek language is that we're hitting each other. <laughs> so that word in trust, I think Paul used it not only because it was a banking term, but he used it in the middle voice to say, it's not a one-way street. When you're discipling someone, is this not you saying, yes, my son, sit down at my feet and let me teach you? No, it's a it's a relationship that's a mutual, there's mutual benefit to it. There's a mutual entrusting, a mutual sharing that's going on. I think if you can have that kind of mentality with those that you are mentoring or discipling or training, that you're really there to serve them, not to lord it over them at all, and that it is a relationship. It's direction, yes, but it's also affection. And those are the two key rails of, in your discipling. I think that's what Paul was trying to communicate to Timothy, really. I'm taking notes. So if you see me looking oh, down, so good. write some stuff down. It's, it's really incredible. And I think if you are looking for 
um, somebody to become buddies with. That's a really great goal, both if you're older looking for somebody younger, if you're younger looking for somebody older and just yeah. being intentional about starting those conversations and yeah. um, be a person of the first move. Yeah, I think that's so good. Oh man, so many good things I can say right now, but I we want to honor your time, Pastor Steve. And guess what? We've come to five in five. So this is five minutes on the clock, five questions. Are you up for the challenge? <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. I love that. All right. Question number one. Should I kick us off? Kick it off. Babe. All right. Here we go. What's one thing you're doing right now as a hobby, maybe outside of the ministry world? Well, I'm trying to get in shape. Um, I go to I, I go to a, a friend's garage. He's my medical doctor. He's an old Stumo staffer. He's an old Razorback football player. So Three times a week, I go there, and he just—I mean—he he scripts out every exercise that I'm doing, and he has reshaped my body and my fat content and muscle content and everything else for the last two years. And uh, I, I'm kind of a different man than I was two years ago. So I'm—I'm I'm just going to stick with that the rest of my life. I pray I can, because it's hard. But if you have a partner. You know, two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. I could have never done this on my own. But so that that has become a, a pretty important part of my my weekly schedule is um, is all the mainly weightlifting free weights that we're doing together. That's really made a difference for me. I love it. That's a great answer. Definitely. And you've mentioned like sports and exercise. Do you have a favorite college sports team? <laughs> I'm afraid I do. Uh, do you recognize that little that little thing right there? That's an Arkansas Razorback. Uh, so there I was Saturday night in Razorback Stadium with my son and his wife and his oldest son cheering our hearts out for the Razorbacks. Uh, they play Texas A&M this Saturday. I don't know when this episode is going to be be broadcast, but we're playing number one one of the number one teams, Alabama, I think, after that. So. Arkansas has the this is the third year in a row they have the hardest schedule in all of college football because we're in the SEC West and so uh, but we've got a great coach and we've got a good team and I think we're going to have a good season and so um, I do I follow the Razorbacks that's where I went to school and and um, we've we we've lived next to the stadium off and on for years and so anyway it's fun that's good you're a fan for life that's good. Yep. All right. Question number three. Here's the curveball. Um, if you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would you ask us? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably, you know, um, ask you um, who have you shared the gospel with? Who have you led to Christ? uh in the last six months um and don't please don't answer that uh, but but i i just i, I run into a lot of christian leaders and I, i'm not saying to y'all but and seminary professors and pastors and that that they're teaching and preaching and they want to be christian leaders and they're even talking about the great commission but if you ask them to really get practical down in the weeds okay who are you currently witnessing to who are you who have you led to christ this past year who are you personally, individually discipling, uh, they kind of don't have good answers. Mm -hmm. well, Steve, you don't understand. I have these responsibilities and I'm doing this and I've got this. And, okay. But give me just one name, would you please? <laughs> so anyway, uh, that, that 
could be an intimidating question and I dare not ask it in front of a, your, all your audience oh, like this. So. I'd prefer you did. We, we, <laughs> we need that. We need yes, we um, iron that sharpens iron. And we, we need to like, when we launched this new ministry three and a half months ago, I realized, okay, we're not going to be on a college campus every single day. Right. And there's part of our ministry is investing in leaders as well as reaching young adults for Christ. But it was a major point that we talked with our board about like we Good. need to be right. mentoring discipling one on opening in our trenches. home yeah. on thursday nights for college students and and i look at right next door to having spiritual gospel conversations with our neighbor jesse yeah. and just um loving on him bringing monster cookies he yeah. he and our other neighbors helped us unload this crazy size swing set that barely fit in a U-Haul, but we found a screaming deal on um, Marketplace. And so we're trying to love our neighbors and not become in a bubble. And I'm reminded right. of that today. Right, right. I pray that it's a lifestyle determination that this is our mission. Yep. And aside from a paycheck, like let, let it be relational one-on-one. Yeah. Good, yeah. good. So good. And back to you, looking question at four. the, yeah, question four or five, um, I would just love to ask you this. I know you did a lot of traveling even recently, but if you could go one place you haven't been and bring any snack with you, Ooh. where would you go? What what would you bring with you? Well, I'm actually heading to a bucket list uh, country uh, in about a month and a half to Egypt. Uh, you know, I, I, I've never been to Israel. People say, well, you want to go to Israel? Well, yeah, yeah, I'd like to go to Israel. Yeah, but I'd really like to go to Egypt. I, I guess I just, I'm a history buff. Yeah. And, and so much, uh, things I've studied over the years and, and enjoyed over the years are kind of Egypt related. So, uh, so that's, I'm going to be spending probably close to two weeks, uh, in Egypt, uh, working with a lot of different groups there, uh, in mid, mid November. And, uh, but a snack, <laughs> you know, I'm a sucker for a honey bun. Uh, if you could have seen me last night at midnight, I, I won't tell you which news station I had on uh, as to not reveal, you know, which which news I, I tend to listen to or watch, you know. But uh, there I was with my buttered honey bun. And, and I don't tell my wife, but I was drinking milk out of the cart, you know. And uh, and eating my honey bun that I had heated up with butter all over it, you know, probably a thousand calories or something. I'm going to have to go this afternoon and work them all off in the garage. Uh, yeah, in that garage, I'm going to work off the honey buns. But uh, probably Egypt and honey buns would be my two little ans answers to that that question. So I love it. That is so good. All right, here's our last and final question. And if you can leave the listener with one piece of encouragement today, what would you leave them with? Ooh, these are great questions. Um, I think it's something you all touched on about relationships. Um, we can pursue all kinds of goals and objectives and, you know, try to accumulate all kinds of education or, or possessions or build our resume or, you know, everyone's wanting to get, build a following now, all their social media following. That's how, that's the new pecking order. You know, we raise chickens. Yeah. Uh, in our on our property, just not not as a profession, but just to, to be able to give away eggs and stuff. And you, 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 you that's where the word came from. Pecking order, you know, is you see the roosters, you see the hens, you see the and no, there's a definite pecking order, you know. 
And, uh, and so that's, that's where we are as a society is trying to gain those things for ourselves. But in the final analysis, when we're laying on that deathbed, I know this is a morbid way to finish off the, the podcast. Sorry. But, you know, what are we going to be thinking about uh, as we're laying there? Um, you know, um, I want to be able to turn towards a world map and, 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 and see people's faces country after country after country after country that somehow some way maybe god had used me to lead them to christ or disciple them or launch them into ministry or missions but but maybe even more than that um you're going to be thinking about who did i love yes and who and who loved me and and the greatest of these is love first corinthians 13 uh it shows us you know that in when the final analysis we can accomplish and attain all these other things, but who did we love and who loved us um, is going to be probably the thing that will be uppermost on our mind and heart uh, in those final days and minutes, moments of our life. And so we can start now. We can now work our way backwards right. and say, uh, okay, who am I loving? And who are the people around me that truly love me? And um, and and not not waste any opportunities uh, along the way um, to love and be loved. Uh, I think that's what life is about. That's so good. I think it's a great challenge to leave every single one of our listeners on and us on who who and how are we loving, but also what legacy are we leaving behind? Is it a legacy of love and commitment to Christ and commitment to others? Um, or is it something not so pretty and we have an opportunity to change it? So beginning with the end in mind, I think is essential, whether you're in ministry, marketplace, on a college campus, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing is what do you want to be said of you and how are we living out Christ each and every single day um, when we come across our neighbors, our friends, our families, a stranger, Um it's just a, it's not a morbid thought. It's a challenging thought it's <laughs> to leave the listener with. And to us, we don't want to wrestle with that question. We want to be able to answer that question and to answer it well. So, well, and, and I'll just close by saying this is this morning I was downtown Minneapolis at North Central University and the president, Scott Hagen was meeting with the freshmen of the campus. And he started talking about the distributed life. Mm. And his quote of the day was just this idea that, life isn't going to be something that you accomplished. It's about what you set into motion. Mm. And so this yes. side of eternity, thinking of Hebrews too, like you might not see the ripple effect of your life until the other side of eternity. Mm -hmm. And so focusing on what lasts forever, focusing on what matters most and watering the earth in the process, bringing the gospel. Right. Um, I'm invigorated anytime I'm around Paul. And now when I'm with you, Steve, of like, Let's go. There's lost people who need the hope of the gospel and we have it. And what an opportunity to bring it to them as a messenger. Amen. Amen. And if you're listening and you want to find out more about Steve Shadrick, as well as the God Ask or the Fuel and the Flame, we will put those links and make them available online and in the show notes. And until next time, this is Josiah and Micah with Young Adults Today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know.
getting charged up right now, yeah. 